If you're a football fan, you know that the football season has started, and I don't mean to create enemies right off the bat, but I am a Dallas Cowboys fan. So, uh, we already got some booze. All right. Well, I guess that's what, why me and Pastor PJ get along pretty well, is we can, we can cheer together, and then also we can cry together, which seems to be more so the occasion in the recent, recent seasons. But we kicked off our season last Thursday, and we had an excellent game. We were playing against a team where it seemed every time that they would score a touchdown, we would come back and score one right back. And we seemed to have their number. Even though they'd go ahead, we would jump back on top of them. And for most teams, that would seem to be a problem, especially at the end of the game. The Cowboys were down, and they drove down the field, and they kicked a field goal to put them up by one point with a minute and a few seconds left in the game. And for most teams that they were facing, that would be a major problem if they were facing a team such as the Panthers or the Falcons or even the Giants. Those teams, that might be a problem. But this team, it didn't seem to be a problem because of their quarterback. And their quarterback is Tom Brady, the greatest, if not one of the greatest, football players of all time. And because of the trust that they have in their quarterback and the confidence they have in him, it led to what we see time and time again where Tom Brady drives down the field and they kick a field goal to end up winning the game. You see, for most teams, that would have been a problem, but because the trust they had in their quarterback didn't seem to be a problem at all. Similarly, in our lives, we face all sorts of problems, whether that's problems at work problems in our marriages, problems in relationships, problems with finances that we face. But if we put our trust in the right individual, oftentimes our our problems seem to lessen in our minds when our focus is on the right person. Today in our passage in John 2, 1 through 11, go ahead and, and turn there if you have not. We see that a problem comes to the forefront and they come to Jesus for the solution. And if we follow the response that we see some individuals have in this passage, then that will do well for us. Because whether you're facing a problem right now in your life or inevitably we're all gonna face problems in the future, we need to know how to respond rightly. And our passage today in John 2 helps us to know how to do that. So John 2, starting in verse one, it says this. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. So these wedding festivities and celebrations that would take place here in the first century would not just last for a few hours, but could last multiple days and up to a week, and sometimes even two, with a lot of celebration, a lot of excitement happening for these wedding ceremonies. And It says that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. We don't know specifically what she was doing there or what her relation was to um, the people getting married, but we see her play an important role, continuing in verse 2. It says, Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So the problem that we see arise in this passage is the wine had ran out. And this would be a a thing of great embarrassment to the bridegroom and his family. It was 
the responsibility of the bridegroom's party to provide enough food and drink for the wedding feast and for the entire ceremonies. And one commentary that I read said that the bridegroom's parents could have even been liable for a lawsuit for not providing enough for these festivities. So this was a big deal and would have brought great embarrassment on this family for, what, you don't have enough wine and uh, enough for this celebration that's taking place? and be embarrassment. So Mary recognizes this and comes up to Jesus for the solution. Hey, Jesus, I, he, he never did anything wrong as a kid. seems to be this special individual. Let's see if Jesus can fix this problem. Was the right solution for, for Mary to go to Jesus for, for the answer. But then you see Jesus's response. Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? I'm almost like, why are you coming and asking me this? What, what does this have to do with me? And if you see this word woman here, Oftentimes, some commentators would say that this was a term of disrespect of Jesus toward his mom, because oftentimes in the Greek, they would use a different word when uh, talking to their mom. So they said, whoa, this is kind of a, a harsh response by Jesus. This is a little bit disrespectful for Jesus to talk to his mom like that. And while we wouldn't say that Jesus is showing any sort of disrespect toward his mom, we definitely see a little bit of re a rebuke found here in this this book. And why is there this little rebuke from Jesus? It's because he says, my hour has not yet come. The word hour in John is a specific and important word. And the word hour in John is pointing specifically to the hour of his death and resurrection of the cross. What's the purpose of Jesus coming down? What's the purpose of Jesus coming to earth and living this entire life? It's so that he would live the life that we couldn't live and that would ultimately be accumulated through him dying on the cross, the punishment for our sins, and rising again three days later. So that's the hour that it's specifically referring to. Hey, my hour has not yet come. But why he's saying that in this context is that he hasn't gone public with his ministry yet and set up the timeline to culminate in his hour at the end of his life. He's not working on his mom's timeline, but rather he's working on the heavenly father's timeline. So he's waiting for God to say, hey, now is the time to demonstrate your power. Now is, now is the time to go public with your ministry. So that's why Jesus gives kind of seems like a, a harsh response toward his mother. He says, my, my hour has not yet come. But that seems to suffice Mary because Mary responds and says, hey, do whatever he tells you. Continues in verse 6. He says, now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification each holding 20 or 30 gallons. So these big stone jars, in culmination, over 100 gallons worth of fluid. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. It's interesting seeing the response of the servants right there. Jesus says, hey, fill, the, fill these Stone, stone jars with water all the way to the brim. They're not like, wait, like Jesus, they're supposed to be filled with wine. They're like, okay, and they just fill it to the top. And then he says, hey, take a little bit out and give it to the master of the feast. And the response is, so they took it. They weren't like, wait, wait, Jesus, it's not supposed to be water. It's supposed to be wine. No, they just obeyed, so they took it. Verse nine, when the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. 
but you have kept the good wine until now. Often was custom back in the day, of course, you would serve the best wine, and then once people's senses were diluted a little bit, then it would be the not as good wine so that they wouldn't, couldn't really tell the difference as much. Just like for men's breakfast, it's not like, oh, we're going to serve you guys first the leftovers from Tuesday night, and then we'll give you guys the breakfast. It's like, no, no, we'll do the breakfast, and maybe if you eat all that, then if you're really hungry, maybe we'll give you the Tuesday night dinner as a result. Don't worry, we won't do that. Verse 11, we see the purpose of this. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So this is the first of his signs. Signs is another key word that we see in the book of John. And signs, what they do is they point to something. Just as signs today, they point towards something. And the point that we see here in this is this sign, this demonstration of God's power is pointing to the mighty power that Jesus has. And that he's doing things, turning, transforming water into wine, that that can only be done by God. God only has the power to totally transform and create something out of nothing. The response we see by the, the disciples, the disciples believed in him. They, they put their trust in him. They built that confidence and, and belief in who Jesus was and what he did. See, we need to allow Jesus's power to fuel us to trust in him even when problems arise in our lives as well. Two weeks ago, Pastor PJ started off with the title of his sermon, Meet Jesus. Then last week was Follow Jesus, and now we need to learn to trust Jesus. And I know it's easy to say that, yeah, we're going to trust Jesus when, when things are going well, when things are prosperous, and life's easy. But it's really challenging when we face those problems in our life to say, hey, I'm not in control, but God, Jesus, I'm going to trust you and trust in your timing rather than my own. And we know that Jesus is not merely some sort of genie who's going to fix all our problems, but he does want us to come to him and trust his timing and remain faithful. So point number one, you can go ahead and write this down. Trust Jesus's timing even when it's inconvenient. Trust Jesus's timing even when it's inconvenient. This summer, we went up to forced home for our edge summer camp and one night it was up late in the night and one of the band members comes into my room and he's like i just saw a bear and i'm like oh we've got 125 edge students up here we got a bunch of leaders like we can't just have a bear roaming around like we got to get them all home safely like this is a problem and i remember when we got there this guy named joe he said hey if there's any any sort of problem that comes up, hey, just give me a call on the walkie-talkie. So it's probably 11.30 at night, so I get over on the walkie-talkie. I'm like, all right, hey, hey, Joey, we, we need you over here. There's, there's a bear um, by the water, water cooler. We need you to take care of it. I'm just quiet. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Try again. Hey, hey, Joey, we need, we need you out here. We, we got a bear. We need you to take care of it. It's quiet. <laughs> it's like, oh, man, maybe he's asleep. What are we going to do? Finally, we tried again, and he gets on there. He's like, all right, I'll be over there in, in just a second. And it's like, okay, just a second. We're sitting there. Seems oftentimes a little longer than just a second. It's like, okay, Joey, like, <laughs> there's a bear. Um, I don't know if you realize that. We kind of said that on the phone. And I can't have any students come in contact with this bear or get injured. And I know it's, it's late in their sleep, but, like, take care of this now. 
thankfully, he did end up taking care of it, but I wanted it done right now. Like, we got this problem, take care of it immediately. We can't have anything go wrong, but how to say, hey, Joey's coming, he's, he's gonna take care of it. Similarly, in the problems that we face in our lives, we want them taken care of right now. Hey, this, this financial hardship came up, this health problem came up, this problem in a, in a relationship came up. God, God just, just take care of it right now. But oftentimes his answer is, hey, it's not gonna be solved right now. Hey, it's, it's not in, in the Lord's timing for it to, to, be, to go away immediately. But we need to trust his timing even when it's inconvenient. And that's what Jesus was doing in verses one through four when Mary comes to him with this problem and says, hey, take care of this problem right now. And she wants it done immediately. But Jesus says, hey, it's not my hour, it's not my time, not, not my season of life to, to, to do it. He's waiting on the father to tell him when to go public with his presentation that he is the Messiah. See, Jesus, I'm sure, was an was a obedient child, and whenever his mom told him to do something, he would do it. But he's making clear to his mom, hey, yeah, I used to be able to, I used to follow the dictates and commands that you gave to me, but I'm no longer living on your timetable. I'm no longer living on my mom's timetable, but I'm living on my heavenly father's timetable that he set out for me that's ultimately culminating in my hour on the cross and the resurrection three days later. And so he was trusting and saying, hey, I'm waiting for the father to tell me when to do it. And thankfully, he does say, hey, take care of this problem. The Gospel of John, entire life of Jesus is directed to obey the father and fulfill the hour, which is his death and resurrection on the cross. And similarly, we have problems today and we want them fixed right now. But a key word that we see all throughout the Bible is that we need to have patience. We need to be patient. Oftentimes, reading throughout the Psalms, you see David cry out to God, and it seems like the wicked are getting away with all this evil things, all this bad stuff that they're doing, and it's going well for them. But here's David, this upright individual, and it seems like things are going hard. Things are going difficult. He's reminded to, to wait on the Lord. Psalm 27, verse 14 says, wait for the Lord, be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. That's often something we need to remind ourselves when we're going through trials and difficulties in lives is, hey, God's in control. We need to, we need to trust in his timing and not our own. Later in the Psalms, Psalm 37, verse 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Like, hey, don't be worried about those other people who are doing wicked things, those people who seems like are getting away with it. God's gonna one day give retribution toward those people. Don't be worried, be still. Wait patiently for God. We need to have that same attitude, that same mindset. And if we oftentimes ask ourselves, why can we even trust Jesus in the first place? Why can we trust his timing? Well, I think we can look all throughout scripture and look to examples where God told individuals, hey, you just, you just need to wait, and it seemed to work out in the end. Think of the example of Abram, where he was promised, hey, you're going to have a child. And he, he's like, okay, I'm, I'm getting kind of old <laughs> to have a child. God said, hey, just wait. He had to wait a long time for God to fulfill the promise, but it ended up working because it was God's timeline and not Abram's timeline. Even thinking of the Israelites who were in bondage and slavery in Egypt, 
and them crying out to God, hey, God, when are you going to set us free from, from Egypt? And God's saying, hey, you, you got to wait. Wait for him to, to, to rise up Moses and to lead them out of this problem. They had to wait patiently. Even the Israelites in the wilderness, wandering around for, for 40 years, God promised to Abraham and said, hey, I'm going to give you a land, a, a people, and a blessing. And, okay, God, when are you going to fulfill this, this land promise that you gave to us? They're wandering around in the wilderness, and they had to wait patiently on God's timeline. Lastly, we can even think about through the entire Old Testament, where they're looking forward for this promised Messiah and said, okay, when's this Messiah going to come? We talked about one of the promises to Abraham. The second was that through a descendant of Abraham, that all the nations of the earth will be blessed, the coming Messiah. They had to wait years after years. Hey, God, when are you going to fulfill this promise? Even the 400 years of silence between the, the, the Old and the New Testament. Hey, when is this Messiah going to come? And we see the response multiple times. Hey, just wait patiently because God has a timeline and we need to trust in his timeline and not our own. It's all on his timeline and we should be comforted by that because God is sovereign. God's in control of all things and he's omniscient. He knows all things. His wisdom is, is far above our own. So that should comfort us to trust him even in those tough situations. We need to trust his timing even when it's inconvenient. Matthew 6 Verses 26 through 30 talks about how if God cares for the birds of the heavens and the lilies of the field, how much more will he care for us? That should be so comforting to us, even though sometimes God answer, God's answer to us when we're going through problems is, hey, we need to be patient. We need to wait and to trust his timing. Response should be as we see in Philippians 4, 6 through 7 is not to be anxious, not to be worried, not to be fret as we read about in Psalm 37, 7, but to respond with prayer and supplication, making our requests be made known to God. Back in John 2, in verses 6 through 8, we see Jesus take action. This problem has been made known to him, and he gives these commands to these servants to go ahead and do these certain things. And I already mentioned it once at the beginning, but it strikes me that they weren't like, Jesus, like, we're supposed to take water? Like, we just took a thing of water, and we're going to give it to the host. They, they obeyed him. We talk about it being embarrassing for the bridegroom party if they ran out of wine. How embarrassing would it be for one of the servants to bring a glass of water to the master of the feast who was in charge of taste testing everything and making sure everything was up to quality and giving him a cup of water when he asked for wine. That would be a source of embarrassment for the servants. Like, what are you doing? I, I asked for wine. Why are you giving me water? But their unwavering trust in Jesus and listening to his commands, even when it put them in a comfortable situation, should be something that we should copy as well. Point number two, go ahead and write down. Obey Jesus' words, even when it's uncomfortable. We need to obey Jesus' words even when it's uncomfortable. Those of you who have kids, I'm sure I've given them tasks to do. Hey, do this chore, take out the trash, do the dishes, a whole bunch of tasks. And I, I'm sure oftentimes you heard back the common phrase, but why? Why? Why should I do that? 
And I'm sure as a good parent, sometimes you would explain to them, hey, I need you to do this because it's, it's helpful for the family. Think of all that I provide for you. And you give them some explanation. But I'm sure sometimes your response to them is, stop asking questions. You just need to obey. Stop with all these questions because sometimes if you give them an answer, it won't suffice and they'll keep asking questions like, hey, just, you don't need to ask questions. Just obey. By n- nature of our relationship as me being the parent and you being the child, you need to obey scripture in Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents and stop asking questions and need to obey me. Same is true for us with God. By nature of our relationship with him, when he gives us commands, who are we to ask God, hey, hey why did you tell me to do that? He created us. He sustains us, as Romans eleven thirty six says. So who are we to, to question him and say, hey, I'm not going to even, I'm going to ignore your word and your commands given to us. It's not always bad to ask why, but if that prevents us, that that questioning of God prevents us from obeying him, then that's when it becomes problematic in our lives. But oftentimes when we're going through these problems, as we've been talking about a lot this morning, we can ask ourselves in our minds, is is obedience even worth it? God, I've been obeying you. I've been faithful to follow the dictates of your word but things are going so bad. It's, it's clearly not working out. Should I even continue to obey you? It's clearly not working. Or things are already so bad in my life. So, so who cares if I just go ahead and disregard the Bible for a couple of days and do my own thing? What, what difference does it really make? See, if we're only obeying God because it's leading us to good and prosperous things and because our life's going well, then that shows us that we're really not obeying for God, but we're obeying for what we can get out of it. See, we need to be obeying God's word because it's his commands in us. And oftentimes that will bring blessings to our immediate life and obviously will bring blessings eternally. But even when it doesn't necessarily produce everything that we want in this life and we go through those trials and, and tribulations, we need to obey him. And if we are to obey the words of Christ, then we need to be in his word. We need to be in it every single day, listening to it, studying it, meditating on it, memorizing God's word. Rather than pushing aside scripture when we're going through those difficulties in life, as I know is so easy to do, we need to cling to God's word. And that should be the first thing we go to in problems of life. Go to God's word and then go to him in prayer. But if there's suffering that comes with obedience, is it even worth it? Worth it. That's oftentimes the question that it comes to. Is it worth it to obey God when suffering is going to come as a result? Jesus makes clear, and it's told throughout scripture that, hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, there's gonna be suffering and trials and persecution that often comes as a result. So is it even worth it to be a follower of Christ and to obey the words of Jesus? 1 Peter 3.17 says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. It's better to suffer and have harm caused to you for doing the right thing than to disregard it and go out and do evil. It's one of many passages we can turn to that says, Hey, is listening to Christ worth it, even when problems come? Absolutely. It's absolutely worth it. But not only do we need 
to be in God's word. Second is we need accountability and encouragement in our lives from other Christians when we're going through these difficult times. We need to have others to do life with us. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10 talks about that. It says, two are better than one because they have good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. I often think of in sports when a teammate gets knocked down and teammates come running over, if they're good teammates, and they grab their brother and pick him back up. Hey, when a brother's down, we need to be there to pick him back up. That's why it's such a great thing that you're hearing a part of men's Bible study. Those in our small group, are we there for each other to when we're going through difficulties, we're right there to, hey, pick them up, provide encouragement to, hey, don't run away from God's word, but rather stick to the words of Christ and obey and be diligent to them. But what's the purpose of this passage in John 2? Jesus turning water to wine. Okay, we get it. It's Mar Jesus was making clear to Mary that he's working on God's timeline, not his own. We see the obedience of the servants in verses 6 through 8, how they did exactly what Jesus did. And then we see this great demonstration of power where somehow, miraculously, Jesus turns this water to wine. Not some sort of trick, because he said, hey, fill it to the brim. And by filling it to the brim, it was so that it could be made clear, hey, it wasn't just halfway, and then Jesus just added a little bit of wine, and it was just really diluted wine. It's like, no, it was filled to the brim to make clear that, hey, Something miraculous happened where this transformation was filled with water and now there is wine. But what was the goal of this? What was the purpose of it in the first place? We talked about that in verse 11, that it was a sign that Jesus did to manifest his glory, to demonstrate Jesus's power, and it caused his disciples to believe in him. The result was the trust of the disciples. They trusted enough to follow him, but this was an increasing trust in their life to recognize, hey, Jesus is the Messiah by seeing this clear demonstration of his power and his might. Jesus provided. We can be amazed and thankful for Jesus. And oftentimes in this passage, we can focus on the miracle that takes place, Jesus taking water and turning into wine. But do we lose fact, fact to the point of this passage isn't, meant to cause us to be, wow, he water to wine. That, that's so amazing. The point of it is to point our attention to the individual who caused that thing to happen in the first place. Point number three, go ahead and write down, focus on Jesus even when he provides. We need to focus on Jesus even when he provides. In Luke 17, Verses 11 and 19, probably a passage that you remember, Jesus heals 10 lepers. And nine of them go running, celebrating, wow, God, Jesus, thank you for performing this miracle. And only one comes back to him to say thank you. And Jesus responds, hey, did I not heal, heal 10 lepers? Where, where'd the other nine go? See, nine of them were thankful for the provision that Jesus gave in their lives. But only one was thankful for the individual who gave that provision in the first place. So when we read this passage, are we amazed by the miracle or are we amazed by the person? 
The point of the person isn't to do the miracle. The point of the miracle is to amplify the person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Do we see how incredible and how amazing Jesus is in our lives? Can our hearts say what Lamentations 3.24 says, that the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. When we're going through difficulties in our life, if we focus on the problem, that can get us despondent, that can get us saddened, that can get us depressed. If we're only focused on the solution to those problems, maybe that can lead to errancy of us getting a little too high, getting a little too, too prideful sometimes. But if we keep our focus on Jesus, that's right where we should be. It's oftentimes like used in sports, not getting too high in the highs and not getting too low in the lows. But if we keep our focus set on Christ, then that's right the sweet spot. It's exactly where our focus should be and will keep us where we need to be. And oftentimes, Jesus does provide in our lives. He does give us answers to those problems. When we're going through a difficult situation, when maybe you've lost a job, he provides another job. Or you're going through a health struggle and, and God gives a solution and you overcome that health problem. Or there's a, a marriage issue or a relationship problem and you guys get through it and Jesus provides in that. And in those times when he does provide that provision, we should be thankful. We should be amazed. We should cry out with thanksgiving and say, hey, God, you are worthy to be praised. But oftentimes, he doesn't. Jesus doesn't always take away our problems. We can think of Paul and his, his thorn in the flesh. Jesus didn't take that away. Jesus wasn't even obligated to do this miracle in John chapter 2. And let's think, if Jesus didn't perform this miracle, would that have made Jesus any lesser? Or would that have shown that Jesus didn't care for the people who had this problem of running out of wine. Would that show that? Hey, Jesus really didn't care about them. But, hey, Jesus isn't really powerful. No, that wouldn't show that. Jesus wasn't forced to fix this problem. He was waiting on the Father's timeline. But it was out of Jesus' compassion and care that he did fix it. His power wouldn't have been lessened if he didn't do this miracle in John chapter 2. It just wouldn't have been shown yet. Because he was not living on Mary's timeline and the people's timeline, but living on Jesus' timeline. It wasn't show that he didn't care about the individuals if he didn't do this miracle, but rather that he cared about God's timing over man. He cared about what God thought over what man thinks. But thankfully, he did provide in this situation. But either way, whether he does provide in our problems and give us the solution that we hope for, or his his answer to us is, hey, you need to wait. The answer is not right now. We need to keep our focus on him. Oftentimes when we wake up in the morning, I know at least it's true in my life, what's quick to come to mind is all the tasks that I need to get done for the day. Oh, I got to get this done, and I got to get this done, got to get this done, this done. And quickly our mind starts racing. Oh, I've got all these tasks that I need to get done. But rather, what we think about in the morning, it should be, how can I honor and live for Christ today? How can I honor and live for Christ through those tasks that I need to get done? Whether it's those tasks at work or the things you're doing with your family or whatever we have planned for a day, how can I honor and live for Christ through those things? Maybe it's hard for you to keep your focus on Jesus, especially when problems come up because you've never put your trust in Christ originally 
as the answer to your sin problem that you have with God. Maybe one reason it's hard for you to keep your focus on him and and to trust him and all those things is because you've never trusted in Jesus to begin with. And if that's you in the room, you need to, to get right with God today. What matters most is our eternal standing before God. And we need to trust in him for salvation. So don't put it off, but choose to do so today. Trust in Jesus as the solution and grow in our trust as a result every single day. Some people will look at John 2, 1 through 11, and they'll use this passage as a liberation to drink wine. Oh, Jesus turned water into wine. That means I can drink wine and, and, and do all that, that sort of things. That's why if I preach this in Edge, it'd be like, oh, Jesus turned it into to grape juice. No, just <laughs> No, he turned it into wine. But if you've been at Compass, I'm sure you've heard Pastor Mike talk about the dilution of water compared to the drinks of today. But regardless, that's not even the point of the passage. A lot of people other times talk about, look at this passage. Oh, Jesus attended a wedding and he did this miracle at a wedding. So Jesus is making some sort of statement about weddings. And while I think some truth can be said about that, that's, that's not even the main point of this passage either. The focus of this passage, of this sign demonstration done, is to point to Jesus, to keep our focus on him. See, if you think about it, there's so much in this story that we're not even told about. Like, who is the bride? No idea. Who is, who is the bridegroom in this passage? No idea. Why was Mary at this wedding? We don't even know. She says she was there. See, so much that we're not told about in this wedding because the focus of the passage is to be on Jesus and he needs to be our focus as well. Keep our focus on him and not by all the different things that are going on in our lives. A common kid song that we sing at church is trust and obey, for there's no other way to be what? Happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. And we talked about trusting and obeying, point one, trusting Jesus' timeline and obeying Jesus' words. But one thing that we often don't highlight in that song is to be happy in what? Is it to be happy in what Jesus gives? Is it to be happy in Jesus fixing my problem? Is it to be happy in Jesus restoring a broken relationship? Is it to be happy in Jesus giving me a new job? Is it to be happy in Jesus allowing me to retire early? Is it to be happy in Jesus curing my sickness? Or is it to be happy despite what happens because we are happy in Jesus? May that be true of our hearts and may that cause us to trust and obey him as a result. Let's pray. God, thank you for being a faithful God. Even when we're going through difficulties, help us not to doubt your goodness, not to think that you don't care for us or that you're ignoring our problems, but help us to trust in your time, timeline trust in your timing and not to be apathetic or distraught and push off your word, but to be in it, to find your word as a refuge and find you as a refuge by coming to you in prayer. And God, help us to keep our focus on Christ and what he's done for us 
at all times, and may our contentment be found in him and him alone and not the situations that come in our life. God, help us to put that to practice this week, whether we're going through a trial this upcoming week or whether times are good right now. Help us to store this and apply it when problems do face in our lives. God, we ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.